Over 2,000 years ago, Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, said all disease begins in the gut. Fast forward to today, and science is proving this to be true. An unhappy gut may be the cause of many chronic diseases, such as depression, obesity, autoimmune disease, autism, and even cancer. We have with us today one of the world's leading pioneers in gut health, number one best-selling author of Happy Gut, Dr. Vincent Pedre, joins us. If you want to know how to cleanse, heal, and rebuild your gut, don't go anywhere. I have a gut feeling you're going to enjoy this episode, and it all starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is a functional medicine certified practitioner, medical director of Pedre Integrative Health and founder of Dr. Pedre Wellness. He serves as clinical instructor in medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine and is also certified in yoga and medical acupuncture. He appears regularly in the media, including the Martha Stewart Show, The Early Show, ABC's Healthy Living and the Functional Forum, just to name a few. He believes the gut is the gateway to losing weight and achieving optimal health. I'm all for that myself. Please welcome to the show author of the best-selling book, Happy Gut, the cleansing program to help you lose weight, gain energy, and eliminate pain. Dr. Vincent Pedre, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. I'm a big fan of your work, and as I've said on the show many times, I truly believe our gut holds the key to diagnosing, preventing, and treating disease. First, share with us what made you shift your focus to gut health. Oh, wow. Um, it was something that was sitting under my nose my entire life. I, I grew up with my own gut challenges from having been subjected to multiple rounds of antibiotics as a teenager and consequently developing leaky gut syndrome and sensitivities to both wheat and uh, wheat gluten, which is uh, the protein in wheat, and uh, dairy. But it was really, uh, really what it in initially inspired me to look at the gut it wasn't so much my own issues at the time, because I thought as I was learning functional medicine is when I really started to learn like what I thought was my normal. I had been living with it for at least 20 years at that time, right. uh, that it wasn't, you know, and a lot of people out there are probably thinking, you know, my gut behaves this way. I get gassy, things that disagree with me. And after a while, you just think, well, that's just how my body behaves. And what I learned was like, no, that's not normal. And that doesn't have to be right. your normal. You can actually have a happy gut. So around that time, which was over 10 years ago, I just got really interested in working with patients who came in with any sort of digestive complaints. It was just, um, it was more of a, just like a passion for me. And also, it seemed like a riddle that I really wanted to learn how right. to solve. And as I started working with these patients and seeing the remarkable results that they could get, and but also having them come back and report to me that not only was their gut health better, but other things that maybe they just didn't mention because they didn't think of, like their fatigue got better, their mental clarity was better, they felt sharper at work. And it just started, it was just this big aha. It's like, wow, right. this gut is so much more than just digestion. It affects everything in the body, including the brain. Wow. Let's talk about these food sensitivities. I know back in the 90s, people had no problem at all eating several pieces of 
pizza, you know, slices of pizza. And today, many of these same people, Doc, they have a gluten intolerance and one bite of pizza causes a bad reaction. What's changed in the in the past few decades that caused so many people's guts to be sensitive to certain foods like gluten? Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you talk to gastroenterologists, um, and I've spoken to ones that have been in, in practice for, you know, over 30 years, and they've even seen a shift in their patients, whereas 30 years ago, 40 years ago, patients didn't come in complaining of IBS, irritable bowel syndrome symptoms, like alternating constipation, diarrhea, bloating. There's this sudden shift to a lot of patients coming in. I have, maybe part of it is awareness, but honestly, I think it is the the disintegration of the integrity of our food supply right. because of mass uh, agriculture. Uh, there's different arguments that you can look at. For example, the fact that wheat has been hybridized in this country in a way that's made it more drought resistant and um, has uh, basically changed the amount of gluten in the wheat plant. Mm-hmm. So the wheat that we're eating here in the U.S., which is the dwarf hybridized wheat, actually mm-hmm. has more gluten, about 30 to 50 percent more gluten than it did back in the 1950s or any of the ancient uh, wheats. Right. So you could argue that the wheat has been evolved much faster than our own body can keep up with because our digestive enzymes have a lot of trouble breaking down that gluten molecule, the wheat protein, which is called gliadin. But the other thing that some people argue maybe this is playing a role is that wheat is sprayed with a pesticide glyphosate in order to desiccate it before harvest. Right. And it's used kind of as a matter of convenience. And we know that farmers who use these types of pesticides end up spraying much more pesticides on the plant than they really need. And that glyphosate contaminate getting into wheat can have an effect on the gut microbiome and then lead to leaky gut syndrome. Leaky gut. I mean, glyphosate, if you look up glyphosate, it is basically patented as an antimicrobial agent. It chelates minerals and it starves your microbes from the minerals that they need in order to uh, be able to replicate. But that's how they work on weeds too, is they chelate minerals. So they basically, they starve the weed of the minerals that they need in order to grow. The thing is that when you do that to the gut microbiome, then you're gonna cause leaky gut syndrome, which is basically an increase in the permeability of the gut. And everybody understands, like one way I I try to describe the gut is that your gut is like this giant cheesecloth. And it's got really fine holes, and those holes are designed to absorb the nutrients that get broken down from the food that you eat. Now, imagine that that cheesecloth now has holes that are poked into it that are bigger. And through those bigger holes, more things can get through, and that's what leaky gut syndrome is. Yeah, and you mentioned the glyphosate. I'm so glad you brought that up because I've been studying that as well. But it's everywhere, Doc. Even we've, there's a study showing 100% of all California wines have above and beyond the glyphosate that should be in there. I don't think any should be in there, but it's above their little standard number. What do we do? How do we avoid this glyphosate? I mean, this is a, this is a tough question, but you, you can only make the best choices that you can make. And I'm a strong believer in, in supporting local organic farmers. So right. when you can, if it, if it doesn't hurt your wallet too much, shop organic or look at the Environmental Working Group website and look at the clean 15 versus the dirty dozen. And if you're going to choose which way to spend your money, you know, 
buy the clean fisting right. non-organics and that's cheaper but the ones that are in the dirty dozen which we know have the highest level of pesticides and some for example apples have up to 40 some different neurotoxins that can be found in the pesticides that are sprayed on apples so you should never eat a non-organic apple and there are certain studies i know there's a there are ways now that you can actually do a urine test and see if you have glyphosate in your system you know, based on your exposure. I mean, the other thing is that people are getting exposed by spraying their lawns for weeds. Yeah. You have to be really, because while you're spraying the lawn, you're going to inhale the glyphosate that's yeah. in the weed killer. It's amazing. It's funny how you bring up apples. I guess we got to have the new saying, an apple a day keeps you at the doctor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes, it's sad. you know, like if a patient, if, a, if someone comes in, and, you know, cause a lot of people come to me and they're wondering, they, they eat something and they don't feel so well. And, you know, maybe they had a reaction where they had a loose stool or they felt bloated or they felt gassy. And the, the question I'm always asking, is it, is it the food itself? Is it the person is reacting to a protein in the food? So a food sensitivity, it's almost like an immune reaction. Yeah. Is it a property of the food? Maybe because of the fiber and the gut microbiome maybe is imbalanced and it's producing a lot of gas in response. But the third thing that I think a lot of doctors don't think about is it, are they eating non-organic produce and are they having a reaction to the pesticide residue in the fruit or the vegetable? Right. And I think we need to be thinking about, at, we need to think at all those levels when we're looking at what is affecting our patients, what's making them sick. Now, there's a lot of focus on something called the gut-brain connection, and research is showing that our gut can affect everything from our mood, our memory, even our personality. Share with the listeners how the gut and the brain are connected. What's the, what's the connection there? There's, there are so many interconnections. I mean, one, one great example is the vagus nerve, which comes from the brain, and it basically innervates 90% of the gut. And it controls many things from the, the, the smooth muscle contractions of the small intestine, moving the food down. So right. all of the stuff that is kind of like in background mode that we're not thinking about. Its impulses also control the, um, the production of enzymes. And the, the thing is, so, so I'm talking downstream now, so brain to gut. Mm -hmm. If you're stressed, you're going to have vagus nerve malfunction. And that's going to lead to less acid production in the stomach. And some people, you know, when you're stressed, you feel like food doesn't sit well in your stomach. Right. Well, guess what? You're not producing enough enzyme to break it down. But we also know if you have a brain injury, if you have a concussion, they've shown this, that within 30 minutes of a concussion where you, there's a loss of consciousness, vagus nerve becomes um, dysfunctional. And because of that, you develop leaky gut syndrome. So the vagus nerve is playing a role in controlling gut permeability. Now, in the other direction, we know there are actually more fibers pointing back up to the brain through the vagus than there are downstream. So it's like 80% of the fibers are pointing up to the brain. But also the gut microbiome, the bacteria in the gut, mm -hmm. those probiotic bacteria yeah. that we think about, like when you're eating yogurt or drinking kefir, they produce neurotransmitters. And some of the neurotransmitters that they produce are things like serotonin, GABA, GABA aminobutyric acid, which is the neurotransmitter that makes you kind of feel relaxed. So right. there, and we know that there are more serotonin connections in the gut than there are in the brain. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I got sick a couple of years ago from a chemical that DuPont dumped into my city's water supply, and I was diagnosed with advanced autoimmune disease of my gut. I suffered from depression. I couldn't remember my office manager's name, and she worked for, with me for 17 years. I'd say, go talk to the lady with the long brown hair. I forgot her name, forgot my address, forgot my social security number. Doc, I experienced firsthand the role that our gut plays on our emotional health and memory. And a lot of people are and being... I, and, and you know... Uh, you know what I suspect also in, in people like you, and I'm sure people who are listening can really resonate with the symptoms that you had. If you have, if you have what happened to you and then you develop leaky gut syndrome, one thing that gets through is this thing called endotoxin. And it's this very powerful, potent stimulator of the immune system. Mm -hmm. And it comes from gram-negative bacteria that live in the large intestine. Now, when that gets through, what they've also known it can it crosses the blood-brain barrier, and it can then attach to receptors in the brain that trigger an inflammatory response. So Jeez. when your gut is inflamed, your brain will become inflamed. So true. And I know there's a lot of people listening. They're being exposed to these gut-destroying chemicals in their food and water supply. What can they do to detoxify and cleanse their gut? Any tips? A lot of the things that I do that I put together in my, my book, Happy Gut, and uh, my system, which I call my gut care program, mm -hmm. is basically cleanse, activate, restore, and enhance. Cleanse out all the things that are toxic to the gut, the inflammatory foods like wheat, dairy, gluten, soy, corn. Those, those are some of the top genetically modified crop in this country that gets oversprayed with glyphosate. Right. We want to clean out the gut of any bad pathogens like parasites or yeast. And we sometimes we use antimicrobial herbs for that. Mm -hmm. And we also want to activate it by introducing the right types of enzymes. Because a lot of people, when their gut is sick, it's almost like if your knee is hurt, you need a cane to help you walk until the knee is doing better. Same way, if your gut is hurt, it's been inflamed, it's not producing enzymes, the enzymes are like that cane for your gut. Right. And then restore, we want to reintroduce good bacteria into the gut. So it can be through probiotics, but also through, through prebiotic foods that help feed those good bacteria. You want to almost treat your gut like a, an internal garden that you're nourishing. And the last piece of it, which I call enhance, is using nutrients like L-glutamine that have been proven in study over study to help reverse the leaky gut. Gotcha. What are some foods that you recommend that people should stay away from that are detrimental? You mentioned you mentioned the, uh, the the gluten products. What's your opinion on you know dairy and meat? I hear a lot of conflicting opinions here. Do you think that you are you yeah, more there's, plant based? I mean, I, and I, yeah, and I, I know there's a lot of uh, push towards uh, being vegan, and uh -huh. there's the new documentary that came out on that. You know, the the benefit I have is that I've seen so many patients. Over, I mean, I've seen thousands of patients over the last 15 years. So I've seen patients in all walks of life. I've seen patients who were vegetarian, vegan, uh, then started eating meat. I've seen patients who have gone from eating meat to becoming vegetarian. And there's things you can do wrong in both directions. Right. But for example, I had a patient yesterday who had, uh, we treated her for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And she was vegetarian, but she was eating too many carbs. So her diet actually made her sick. As a vegetarian, we always associate like being vegetarian as being healthier, mm -hmm. but it's not always the healthiest thing to do. And now she's eating vegetables with 
some meat, some animal protein. And anytime I tell people, you know, if you're going to incorporate animal protein, we want organic, hormone-free, antibiotic-free, as clean as possible. If it's fish, wild-caught, not farm-raised, as best as you can do. But even for someone with, you know, say you have severe gut dysfunction, you think that eating raw is healthy. But in those patients, eating raw vegetables can make them sick because they just don't have enough digestive strength to break down those raw vegetables. And in those patients, I either advise them if they still want to have some raw to actually make it in a smoothie where they blend the vegetable and break down that cell wall or have cooked vegetables to begin with. And as their gut heals over time, we can start transitioning and incorporating more raw vegetables and kind of testing it and see how they feel with that because the cooking process is like digestion outside the body. So there's a lot of, it's, it's much more complex than people think. And I, I'm kind of in the middle where I think, let me help you find the diet that's best for you under certain general guidelines that we know gluten is bad for almost anyone, including someone who doesn't have celiac disease or um, the, the middle people, which are called non-celiac gluten sensitive. So you're sensitive to gluten, but you don't have the autoimmune disease that's caused by gluten. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these normal people, but they've shown that gluten will increase permeability in the gut in all people. It's just someone who doesn't have these, these uh, conditions, it's going to be less so, but think about that over 20 years time. It's uh, a lot of people don't develop disease early in life. It's kind of evolves as their, as their life progresses. And it's probably an accumulation of insults like right. that. Same thing with dairy. A lot of people are dairy sensitive. They might be lactose intolerant, but they also might be sensitive to the dairy proteins. And that can lead to a lot of inflammation. Uh, casein, when it gets absorbed, the, the casein molecule from A1 cows uh, actually gets converted into morphine-like substances so it makes your brain dull. So you can't think as clearly. Same thing happens with gluten. So yeah, what's your opinion? Are, on, what about coffee? I want to bring that. I know it's a big controversial topic. Is Java good or bad for the gut? <laughs> That's a really great question. If we're looking at the gut as a complete system that includes the detoxification organs of the liver right. and the kidneys, doing a cleanse like mine it's important to take out coffee because we don't want to bog down those enzymes that we want to be occupied with clearing toxins out of the body. So a lot of times I will remove coffee from the diet during the cleanse. And then what I have found, so I know there's so much debate back and forth with coffee. Coffee is good for neurological disease. Um, What I have found is everything in moderation. And the things that people have to watch out for in moderation, but also really becoming a student, listening to your body and figuring out, you know, checking in with yourself. And when you have coffee, do you feel good or how do you feel an hour later? How do you feel two or three hours later? For me, I stopped drinking coffee now three years ago because it makes me way too jittery. And when I finally decided I led a group on my cleanse, three years ago. And as part of the cleanse, I had to remove coffee from my diet. And after two weeks, I found that I wasn't crashing anymore in the afternoon. And I just had this clean, even energy. Now I was drinking on some days I was drinking green tea, which has a really um, favorable effect on the liver's ability to detoxify. Uh, But 
cutting out the coffee made a huge difference for me, but that's me listening to my body. And I tell people, you know, you have to listen to your body. Right. Tell us, I know we're running short on time. I'll talk about weight loss. I know there's many people that feel they eat right, they exercise regularly, but they still can't lose weight. Could the key to finally attaining permanent weight loss be achieved by focusing on getting a happy gut? Totally. I mean, the connection there is that weight is an inflammatory condition, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have leaky gut, that's an inflammatory condition. And inflammation leads to weight gain. But the other thing that we know that is really key here is that if your gut bacteria is imbalanced, it can lead to something we call insulin resistance. And when you have insulin resistance, which controls your blood sugar levels, but if you're resistant to that signal, it's almost like you're becoming deaf to the signal. So your right. body, what does it do when you're becoming deaf? It just jacks up the signal. So it produces more insulin, but that insulin is, isn't getting sensed. But at the same time, the insulin is telling your, your fat cells in your abdomen to accumulate more fat. So you start getting fatter in your middle, your belly. You start developing that, that apple shape. And as you develop more fat, that fat actually acts like an endocrine organ and produces its own inflammatory signals and scrambles your insulin signal. So it becomes this vicious cycle. So you have a disordered gut, you have insulin resistance, and then you're getting more fat in the belly. And if you don't change your diet, if you don't change the trigger so you can change your gut microbiome, it's just going to go on and on. And many, I'm sure people who are listening to this know, like they, they put on 10 pounds and 20 pounds, then 30 pounds and they don't know how to control it. Right. And a lot of that stress related too. it's that cycle that cortisol, right? It affects the gut. You know, when you're stressed, you feel it in your gut as well. So it's kind of like this whole I really system. Feel, and, and I really feel I work a lot on, you know, over the years. I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I work on mindset with people because right. I really do think like I can tell you how to eat the best way to eat. But if you don't tackle your mindset around eating and your belief system around eating, and perhaps if you're a binge eater or if you're an emotional eater that eats when there's triggers, if you don't figure those things out, you'll do a diet for 30 days and then you just fall back into your old patterns. So true. So true. And the minute we have left, anything that you'd like to share that we didn't get to cover today? So many things we could cover. We need to get you back yeah, on the we, show. Uh, I know. I feel oh. like we kind of did a, a tour de force. Yeah. I mean, I, I, think, uh, I think like you mentioned at the end, like, uh, you know, everybody asked me, what are the keys to a happy gut? And yes, part of it is diet. Part of it is probiotic and prebiotic nutrients. But the other key to it that you cannot ignore and you can't treat it as if it's less than the other pieces is stress management. Yeah, so true, so true. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. Like I said, we got to get you back. This is such a topic I'm very passionate about. So everything you said, I'm, I'm, I'm right in key with you. I believe truly the gut holds the key to our emotional, hormonal, and even structural health. I think it's it's the key. We need to focus on it. And everybody out there, be sure and get your copy of Happy Gut. Great book. I own it. It's the cleansing program to help you lose weight, gain energy, and eliminate pain. It all starts in the gut. You can get that in by going to happygutlife.com. And while there, be sure and check out all the great gut-healthy products and recipes and articles and video resources that's available there. You can follow Dr. Pedre at, on Twitter and Instagram, at 
Dr. Pedre, and on Facebook, he's at Dr. Vincent Pedre. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Pedre, share something today that, you know, somebody you know could benefit from. If they were just listening, send them a link to this podcast. It's available to yourgoodhealthradio.com and check out our radio podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. Sharing is caring. Caring is sharing. Do them both. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay well.